food heist. Food heist. You ready? This is actually a food adjacent heist. Oh, is it like chopsticks heist? Nope. This is not somebody stealing food. This is somebody stealing 60,000 bees. <laughs> 60, how many bees is 60,000? I have no concept. That could be like one hive. <laughs> that could be an entire building full of bees. It is a bunch of hives okay. all together. So this is actually two heists that are related to each other in that they're both about bees. People steal okay. bees. Bees and bee pollination is actually responsible for a full third of the food we eat in the U.S. Oh, I've heard about this. Like the almonds, they need to have like people bring their bees mm-hmm. in to exactly. pollinate. They have to like schedule to get your bees. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so the 60,000 bees that were stolen, uh, this was in Pennsylvania in mm-hmm. January, and they just disappeared. But then the more recent story that just broke a couple days ago, actually it broke today, is everyone took their bees to California for the almond crop. Mm-hmm. And don't get me started on the environmental and ethical underpinnings of our almond obsession. Right. And so they bring in just millions of bees. It actually says billions of honeybees are trucked in from all over the country to California to pollinate the almond crop. And then people steal them all the time. And most of the time, because our bee populations are dwindling, it's other farmers who just need to pollinate their own stuff who will sneak in at night and steal these rent-a-bees and they'll set them up in their own farm to pollinate their own stuff, and then they don't take care of the bees, and the the bees bees die. Okay. And so people have started putting GPS locators inside of their hives. They've started doing all kinds of crazy stuff because our almond crops and many of our other crops, most of our vegetables, can't survive without bees to pollinate them, and there's not enough bees to go around, so they are stealing them from each other. Man. All right. So that is the ecological apocalypse we live in. It's the sequel to B movie. <laughs> Stolen Hive. And the tagline is everybody wants a piece of B. Did <laughs> Are you as fascinated as I am by which movies become pop culture phenomenons in the meme space? Right? Yes. Like B movie is become a big meme. It has, thing. and that's so weird to me because I've never seen it. Okay. It does not stand it's, out to me as something I need to see. It was not a hit at the time, and yet it's become a thing. It's become a thing. I think it's partially because, I could be wrong here, but it's because B-Movie is one of the most popular actors of his era, Jerry mm-hmm. Seinfeld, right? Who yeah. had the highest money that you could earn on a television show and all of these things. Passion project to make after Seinfeld is over. And it's all to tell a bad pun, right? B-movie being a B-movie about bees. And the movie is just insane, right? Like, (laughs) it is absolutely insane. And you watch this thing and you don't know if it's a train wreck or if it is a really subtle joke by Jerry Seinfeld on everyone. Hmm. Or you know, some combination of the two. Like, there's a romance between a human woman and a bee. Yeah. Right? And that could be seen as just stupid storytelling or as, well, this is how these stories go, so we're going to go ahead and lean into the absurdity of it Mm -hmm. because it is so absurd. And factors about that make it better than a bad movie because the whole time you don't know 
what's going on behind the scenes, why Jerry Seinfeld made this movie. <laughs> but it became a huge meme thing. Yeah. Shrek did as well, right? Shrek is the classic thing. And I, I don't know what it is about Shrek either. Shrek was bigger when it came out, but mm-hmm. absolutely, yeah. I am not actually a big fan of Shrek. Mm. I think that the movie's ending undercuts its entire message and is dumb. But oh, yeah? Yeah, like yeah, the you... whole point is these two people can fall in love even though they're different, mm-hmm. but at the very end, the message is still they can't be together unless they're the same, right. which is it's not kind what of, you were trying to tell me, movie. Anyway, but yes, it has exploded mm-hmm. into it's become this whole big thing, and there are some movies that make sense. Like mm-hmm. I absolutely knew that the Star Wars prequel renaissance was coming. Right, right, the 20-year cycle, right. Yeah, yeah. all the kids who grew up with it and, mm-hmm. you know, who didn't think it was bad because, you know, we grew up with the originals and so obviously the prequels, you're not my real dad. Mm-hmm. But the kids who grew up with the prequels, of course they're going to love them as adults and it would turn right. into a big thing. I'm not sure that's why B-Movie or Shrek are big now. Maybe it is. It can't be. Shrek, maybe. B-Movie, I think it's just that it's weird. Probably. And Shrek, I don't know what it is. It's... Have you watched any of the, like, they they do this periodically on the internet where they get a whole bunch of people together and give them each a minute and a half of something and say, okay, redo this in your style, right? Mm. They did this with Shrek where they got a bunch of different animators. I haven't seen any of these, no. And they said, all right, you've got this timestamp, you've got this timestamp, you've got this, they get, you know, 60 creators or whatever, Mm -hmm. and they all spend a couple of months doing those minutes of Shrek animated in their style with the original audio. Or just with the original script, not even the original audio. I can't even remember what it is. I think it's a mix of some of them. And Mm. so you go from this really surreal, weird thing to some guys with cardboard boxes painted to look like Shrek acting it out (laughs) in a forest. And Okay. You know, that's just one of the things that they do on the internet that those people, those internet people do. That's, That's funny. That's weird. I don't know. That's weird. That is weird. Yeah, Shrek is weird. So yeah, I, I don't guess it matches. I don't know what to tell you. I kids these days. Kids these days. That's We're our, old. Our topic. Kids these days. Kids these days. That's the title of our podcast now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Get off my lawn. The podcast. Because <laughs> we want to talk about Generation X. Yeah. So Generation X is the the one in the middle, right? Mm-hmm. That gets made fun of all the time. I I think we... Generation Z and the boomers are always at each other's throats. The millennials are destroying everything. And Gen X is just kind of like in the corner, plugging away. Yeah, I mean, it is the goth generation. And so there is that. We're both Gen X. I'm 75 Mm -hmm. and you're 77. 77. Yeah, and so these things aren't, by the way, really well-defined. Everyone has a different opinion of what they are. But if you were a kid in the 80s, Turning into high school in the late 80s, early 90s, that's Gen X. Yeah. And specifically, you and I are in the subset of Gen X that grew up in an analog age, but came of age in the digital era. Right. Which was a very unique time to grow up, you know? When I was a kid, we literally had a rotary phone that hung on the wall. And then by the time I was in college, we had cell phones. Like, it was a really rapid progression yeah. from one thing to the other. Went from knowing nobody who had a computer 
mm-hmm. to at scouts going to the guy who had like a, a work version or a pre-release version of Windows and learning about Windows with him saying, this is going to be the next big thing to going to college when computer programming was no longer punch cards like it had been in our parents with a room to being, hey, you have a computer, you bring it to college, right? It was interesting in that regard. Yeah. You know, I was talking to my six-year-old the other Mm -hmm. day and she was telling me what they did in school and she said, you know, we did this and we did this and then during iPads, we did this. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what do you mean during iPads? You mean you played some kind of educational game on iPads? That's a weird thing to call it. And then I remembered, oh, yeah, because when I was in school, we just called it computers. Yeah. During computers, mm-hmm. we went and worked on this thing. And I have to assume they still don't call it that. They call it whatever subject they're learning. It's mm-hmm. not based on the device anymore. Do you do Turtle yep. on the Apple? Yeah. We did the Turtle. Turtle is this early introduction to the concept of programming using a little triangle called a turtle that you would move around the screen by giving it instructions. Yeah, and it would leave a line as Mm -hmm. it went and you could tell it to turn the line on and off. Yep. And the whole thing was, we're going to learn how programming works by making this turtle draw shapes. Yep. And did you do Oregon Trail? I actually didn't. Didn't you? We never Mm. had Oregon Trail. We had Oregon Trail. Yeah. It's... Just I got like to college meme. and everyone was like, Oregon Trail. And, and I remember hearing about it, but we never played it. So there's our first one where you're kind of, because I wanted to talk today a little bit about how we match our generation, how we don't. Yeah. Right? Because in some ways, the whole generation thing is like a horoscope, right? Mm-hmm. Like, how can you say that all the people born between this year and this year share like so many common attributes? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we did grow up with a shared experience, which does change us. So it's it's like horoscopes, but with one foot in real substance, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. So like, what was the first album that you ever bought? And what was the first one you bought on CD? It was the same, actually. Okay. The first album that I ever purchased with mm-hmm. my own money, I had several tapes prior to that, but they were usually gifts. Okay. But the first album I ever bought with my own money was Graceland by Paul Simon. And this was in the late 90s. I was not a creature of my generation. Late 90s? Yeah. That's the first album you bought was late 90s? I guess mid 90s. I did started college in 95, huh? So yeah, Mm -hmm. this was senior year of high school. Okay. So it would have been 94, 95. So sure, mid 90s. But yeah, well past the shelf date for Paul Simon, right? I mean, I mean he's Paul perennially famous. have a he's shelf date, but always yeah. popular, but he is also very solidly a baby boomer yeah. artist. And he was speaking directly to and about the boomer experience of life. The thing is, my musical tastes were defined in large part by my parents. I listened to oldies, quote unquote, 50s mm-hmm. and 60s music almost exclusively And that's kind of a rebellion against my parents who were listening to 70s music because that's when they were in high school. That's real interesting because my wife, her favorites were Gordon Lightfoot and people like this. Like Mm -hmm. all the very 70s balladeers. Listening to what her parents listened to. And she makes the argument, she's like, well, I'm an oldest child. So I just didn't have older kids listening to the music. And I'm like, I'm an older child. I did not listen to my parents' music. Was not interested at all. My first album was, whichever one has November Rain on it, it's Use Your Illusion 1 or 2, Guns N' Roses. Yeah. So that was the first album that I bought with my own money. 
Really? Was Guns N' Roses, then followed by some Bon Jovi was my second album. <laughs> very solidly 80s rock. Yep, very solidly 80s rock. Really loved Metallica. Still do love Metallica. Mm-hmm. I did have this other life where I bought new age music to listen to kind of as writing music as I was a budding author. Mm-hmm. And so I listened to that. And my mother was just baffled by me because I would go to the record store and it'd be like, here's a Yanni album and here's Megadeth. And that's, you know, what and I was buying. what you would get. In my experience, a lot of nerds, mm-hmm. you know, the people in advanced classes in school, people who were very into classical music were also into metal at some point or to some degree. And I never got into classical. Really? Yep. Never was a thing for me. It was metal and hair bands, right? Like Van Halen was probably my band when I was in high school, the one that Mm -hmm. I bought the most albums for and liked the most and could tell you, you know, the history of the band and things like that, which Van Halen is very hair band, moving into late hair band era. See, part of the reason that I didn't really start buying things until late high school, early college is Mm -hmm. because I don't remember ever having disposable income. And when I did, I usually spent it on action figures. But I think I was very solidly two decades behind everything. When I was in high school in the 90s is when I got into 70s music, Mm -hmm. which is why I bought Graceland and, you know, things like that. And then in college, for whatever reason, I finally caught up. And that's when I got into grunge. And I still, you know, four or five years late, because it was late 90s instead of early, but went into Nirvana and Pearl Jam and the Pixies and all of this stuff really hard right around the time I graduated. That's interesting. 2000. Because I had kind of one of these adversarial relationships with grunge for a while, Mm -hmm. because grunge was taking over the hard rock that I kind of partially identified with Mm -hmm. the metal, the hard rock, and these sorts of things. And everyone was talking grunge. And so I resisted grunge for quite a while. Even kind of the alternative, quote unquote alternative, that's still hard to define because, you know, alternative existed all through the 80s, but then became a mainstream genre, but no longer be alternative. It became its own genre late 90s with Mm -hmm. stuff like Matchbox 20. Yeah. It took me a few years, but it wasn't like... I discovered it like you. It was I was yeah. actively resisting it. I remember having a conversation with you in the yeah. early 2000s about Foo Fighters. And yes. you're like, nah, these new upstart whippersnappers, I'm not sure they've really proven themselves. I'm like, these are the Foo Fighters. What are you talking about? I got converted to Foo Fighters when I heard the acoustic album that was in. Oh, In Your Honor? Yeah. The Mm -hmm. acoustic In Your Honor, I'm like, okay, this is, I have to become a Foo Fighters fan because of this (laughs) album. And then I kind of got into all of the Foo Fighters stuff. Mm -hmm. But I don't love anything as much as I love that acoustic album. Yeah. Well, I think that's still their best album. But I can absolutely see you kind of pushing that stuff away Mm -hmm. because it wasn't, you know, Metallica. Yeah, so you were doing the music behind. Were you behind on the other pop culture things? Did you go to Gremlins when it was in theaters? Like Uh, all of that stuff. Gremlins, no. Mm -hmm. I've actually never seen any of the Gremlins movies. Wow. Even since. Really? Yeah. That's kind of mind-blowing to me (laughs) because I I would equate Gremlins with like a perfect Dan movie. It might be. Mm -hmm. I've just never seen it. Man. Yeah. I mean, I 
you know, unlike most teenagers, mm -hmm. I really got along well with my parents. And mm -hmm. so a lot of the stuff they liked is stuff that I liked. And I would watch, you know, James Bond movies because my yeah. dad loved James Bond movies. And so that was one of the things I remember watching. Whereas, you know, I didn't see Goonies until oh, man. high school or college. Wow. So, so you really were kind of behind on some of I these was things. behind on a lot of stuff. Now, there were some other touchstones. You know, I grew up on A Christmas Story, for example. Okay. We would watch that all yeah. the time. I was able to quote Princess Bride from memory, you know, as early as fifth grade, which I think is when it came out. Right. So there were definitely things that I was connected to. Uh-huh. But I was very behind on a lot of pop culture stuff. Man, I saw Goonies like probably two dozen times. <laughs> it was ridiculous. It definitely did not deserve that much adoration, but I loved Goonies. Josh Brolin's character in it mm -hmm. goes by Brand instead of Brandon. Mm -hmm. His name is Brandon. So for one did year, I brand? was Brand. One nice. year. In fact, there's one teacher that I introduced myself to who's a very good teacher who mm -hmm. remembered what the kids wanted to be and crossed out Brandon and wrote down Brand. And when I called the school to see, because I was going back to Nebraska, this is now some 10 years ago, mm -hmm. but I went, was going back to Nebraska and I wanted to touch bases with this teacher and say, you know, look what I've become. And I called in and was on the phone and I said, well, there was this teacher named Karen Dress. She was my French teacher. I looked on the website. It says she's now a counselor. And I heard in the background, like, for whatever reason, I don't know how she picked it up, but I heard a loud voice say, is that brand? And she <laughs> ran over and took the phone. Oh, that's so cool. And chatted with me. But that's 20 years later. Mm -hmm. She remembered that because I liked the Goonies, I had gone by brand for like a week. That is a good teacher. And had always called me that. So That's awesome. Mm -hmm. That's very awesome. Yep. Wow. <laughs> my, my weird experience of uh, seeing a teacher again mm -hmm. was actually when I went through the temple for the very first time. Okay. It's a very Mormon story. My AP biology teacher was in there. And that was a very odd juxtaposition of things. It yeah. Was not, not who I was expecting to see. But. I run into a lot of people who are embarrassedly trying to figure out if they can ask for an autograph somehow. Like in the temple? In the temple. That is yeah. crazy. Yeah. That, that happens. I mean, but I, <laughs> I've said this on the podcast, right? I got recognized at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem when mm -hmm. I visited and yeah. got asked for an autograph there. So it happens... Pretty much everywhere, but mm -hmm. yeah. I've never actually been asked. They come up and they talk to me, but then they can't figure out how to ask for an autograph yeah. in such a contextually odd situation. So, yeah. You mm -hmm. know, I wonder if the religion aspect, because many of the times that I have been recognized, which doesn't happen to me as often as you, but it yeah. still does occasionally, mm -hmm. it's often been in church. Right. Like when I went to church in La Paz, yeah. you know, a couple of the little 13-year-old Girls there were like, wait, you're Dan Wells? Uh, you, you wrote partials? I didn't know you remember the church. And I think it might just be because yeah. people in other circumstances still recognize us, mm -hmm. but the church thing makes us feel more approachable. Yeah. Although the temple thing does make it impossible to ask for an autograph. That's really funny. So I've got here, this is what okay. I was looking up earlier, 
five common characteristics of Gen Xers. Oh, I'm excited. And we're going to see if we match if, these. If we match it. Yep, this is just me Googling. Yeah. Now, um, it's important for yeah. us to remember that I still consider Gen X to be the cool, hip, younger people. Yeah. Even though Gen X at this point is older than my baby boomer parents were when I figured out what baby boomers were. Right. So we're we're old. We're we solidly are. middle-aged. Yep. 45, 46. But anyway. we are also the generation of punk rock, mm-hmm. goths, and <laughs> video games. Yeah. So, you know, all of that stuff. So we're still cool. What do so, we got? Five common characteristics. They are expert DIYers. Are you an expert DIYer? I don't consider myself one, mm-hmm. but in comparison to my friends who are millennials, yes. Hmm. I know that if something breaks, I know how to fix it in a way that my 30-something friends don't. That's interesting. Looking at what they're explaining here, I understand it more. I wouldn't call myself a DIYer. But I hadn't heard this in years, but it's true. We are the latchkey generation is what they often brought Mm -hmm. up. We are the first generation where frequently both parents worked. That was the case for me. I would come home from school and there were no parents there. And so I would get myself something to eat Mm -hmm. and then go do my paper route. Yeah. And my parents would get home a little bit later. See, and my experience is similar, but Mm -hmm. flavored differently. My dad always worked and my mom has MS. Mm. And so for most of my childhood, she was bedridden. So she would be home, but she couldn't do anything. I remember the first time I was at a friend's house and she was making sandwiches for us. And I'm like, why are you out of bed? You should be in bed. That's where moms are. And so I always had to make my own food, get myself up in the morning, very independent in the same way you're talking about. Well, my mom did do a good job getting me up in the mornings. That was one that <laughs> I'm not a morning person. And so she was a, she was a big mm-hmm. help making sure. And she did help with our homework quite a bit and things like that. But it is interesting that that does fit. But at the same time, if you say DIY and fixing things, like I feel completely out of sorts compared to the older generation when it comes to any sort of car maintenance. Oh, for sure. Things, right? I have changed a tire once. Yeah. And I don't look forward to ever having to do it again. Like I've had to do it twice and I could do it. Mm-hmm. I knew how to change a tire because my dad had taught me, but I probably won't ever teach my kid how to change a tire because I'd be like, all right, what do we do again? Here, give me two hours to figure this out. We just call AAA. Yeah. So <laughs> at the same time, I don't consider myself like a DIYer in that sort of regard. Okay. So, I don't know. Not a handy fix it, man. Yeah. Let's see. Dress down anti-fashion, flannel shirts, oversized sweaters, Doc Martens. <laughs> what do you mean? 100%, right? <laughs> yeah. You're sitting here in a uh, plaid shirt over yes. a t-shirt, and mm-hmm. I do have a big bulky sweatshirt on. Mm-hmm. If there's one complaint that my wife has about me, it is that I dress like a grunge kid from the 90s still. So, Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm wearing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not flannel, but it's it's yeah. as good as a flannel. That does fit. I had never thought about it till reading this because if you know the generation like right above us, it's not that much older than us. They wear polos and slacks like all the time. Mm-hmm. And you can really tell that distinction, not even going back to boomers or things like this. They probably are. They're younger, gen- but that like 10 years older than us, right? Yeah. They're wearing their polo. Mm-hmm. They're yeah. not in- Shirt with a collar. Yeah. 
I mean, which you've got, but in a very different way. Yes. And I think it's interesting to point this out because that is the image people have of Silicon Valley, right? Right. Like that you wear grungy clothes mm-hmm. and big dumb sweatshirts and, and stupid looking shoes. And I think it's less about tech bro and more about, well, they're all just Gen X people. They're in this age from like 55 to 45. Mm-hmm. And that's that's just how we dress. What happened to Ben then? He dresses nicely. <laughs> Right? <laughs> he dresses classy, but mm-hmm. he wears very similar clothes to us. He just looks better in them. That's true. I think he just yeah. is us, but knows how to coordinate colors. Yeah, that's what it is. That's what yeah. it is. Yeah, because he's not wearing polos around mm-hmm. and you know going to the yacht club. He's wearing what we wear. He just <laughs> doesn't look like a schlub. <laughs> so, yes. All right. Yeah, that one fits us. I definitely have to claim that one. Yeah. They have a good work-life balance. Work hard, play hard generation coincides with the emergence of the personal computer and productivity sorts of things. That definitely fits us, right? Mm. Like boomers were the Wall Street era, the greed is good era, the work 60 hours because that's what you do era. Mm -hmm. Whereas millennials are work 60 hours because otherwise you'll starve to death. Yeah. And we're kind of in the middle we were raised as those latchkey kids. We've seen what happens to families that don't spend time together. And so Gen X actually, in, in my understanding, spends more time with their kids than than our parents did or than the next generation down is able to. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's kind of interesting. I see this as an aspect of me, right, that I have a good work-life balance. I never mm-hmm. attributed this to my generation. Well, I think that is what makes it a mm-hmm. strong generational trait is because mm-hmm. you keep reading these things off and my first thought is always doesn't everybody do that? Right. Well, here's the question though. Are we doing this like you do a horoscope? Where when you read a horoscope, it's like you are like this. They word it vaguely enough that you can be like, yeah, I am like that. I mean, maybe, mm-hmm. but I don't know a single Mm 35-year-old who would claim to have a good work-life balance. Right. You know? I don't think that's a thing anymore. Yeah. So. That is a case. We have the luxury of being able to have a good work-life balance. I don't mm -hmm. know. It is interesting. I look at at my parents, and I often attribute my success. People are down on boomers, right? Yeah. I attribute my success in part to the fact that I was a dreamer with a mother who taught me good work skills, right? Good Mm -hmm. uh, scheduling. Good habits. Good habits and all of these things, which were very much an attribute of her parents' generation. I love how you are increasingly lacing the two piles of papers together, Mm. making it harder for him to pull them apart. I'm doing that on purpose. Sorry, Jacob. (laughs) Ha ha! So, but it's interesting. My parents being from rural Idaho, Mm -hmm. I also wonder if their generation... If they're a slightly different version of boomers, then you get some other places. I've noticed this with my dad and my mother, that they act more like my grandparents Mm -hmm. than I think some other parents do. Well, yes. And I wonder how much of that is generational and how much of that is just LDS culture. It could be LDS culture. It certainly could. But my dad really feels like he belongs in the Mad Men era. 
not in <laughs> the 70s. Yeah. Right? My I can dad see just that with him. Not at all a 70s kid. Not at all hippie-ish sort of stuff. I mean, he he was a troublemaker sometimes, but it's like a troublemaker from the old Andy Griffith era <laughs> troublemaker or, you know, that yeah. sort of thing. Mm-hmm. He feels like from the 50s and my mom's the same way. And so I just, in, in different aspects, I just wonder, I wonder if that's part of our sort of thing. I don't know. Like they didn't rebel against their parents. And I, I know that some boomers did. Yeah. Our generation was the generation of rebellion. Mm-hmm. I did get along with my parents quite well, but even still, there was that disconnect. And I wonder, is that every generation? Like the boomers didn't go to war like their parents did. And mm-hmm. that's a big, boomers didn't live through I the mean, depression. Some of them did. They yeah. they had Vietnam. Yeah, they did. That's true. I'm, yeah. But they had a different kind of war, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And so there is- they, they had a war that divided people instead of a war that brought people together. Yeah. I'm sure there were the rebels there, but you know- my parents did not get computers. And we grew up with this whole idea that old people don't get technology. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that's going to be the case when we're older. I think that's like... Maybe. I think new tech will always be weird. Yeah, um, but we're right now, we're in our 40s. My parents were in their 40s when computers were coming out and they mm-hmm. were scared of them, right? Like yeah. my mom continued, she's an accountant, she continued doing physical bookkeeping yeah, like and accounting until ledger. they came to her and said, it's your job or, you know, you either leave or you move to computers. And mm-hmm. she went and she moved to computers grudgingly. Yeah. Very hard for her to do. And mm-hmm. Nuke Tech comes out for us and we buy it, right? Like, yeah, I have that's, that's two true. sets of VR goggles. Like, right? it, it's still hard for me to pick up new forms of social media and things like that. Like, I Mm -hmm. do not understand, you know, obviously not TikTok, but not even Instagram. I don't have a good sense of how to navigate it, which I attribute to a generational gap. But maybe I know there is that. But on the other hand, at the instant that I was able to get an electric car. Yeah, I did. Mm -hmm. And I am all about self-driving cars. As soon as I'm able to get one of those, Mm -hmm. it's not a technology I'm frightened of. Right. And I don't see us being frightened of some of the things the kids are learning in the same way. And so I like talking about, people talk about this on the internet, like our parents and our grandparents getting older and what they want to do. What does my mom want to do? She enjoys watching Andy Griffith. That's why I brought it up. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's from the generation before. It's a very comforting thing. And she will watch Andy Griffith. I'm going to be playing the new Halo probably when I'm 70, right? (laughs) Probably. I'll be really bad at it. But it's not like I go back and I play Zelda 1 mm. or watch only 80s movies or things like that. Yeah. Like, I am looking forward to playing Elden Ring when it comes out and mm-hmm. things like this. Like, yeah. I think that our generation in old folks' homes are going to be very different. You're absolutely right. You know, I have tried to go back and watch some old 80s shows. Mm-hmm. And, and they're awful? They're not awful. They just... The standouts are still standouts. Cheers is still good. Okay, that's good to hear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like even my son, who's 18, he got into Cheers a couple years ago and okay. just adored it. Whereas some of the more schlocky stuff absolutely doesn't hold up. And I suppose that's true of old shows like yeah. Andy Griffith as, mm-hmm. as well, right? Like there's the standouts work and the old ones don't. That's probably, yeah, that's yeah. a very relevant point. I'm not saying mm-hmm. even say probably, you are right. Yeah. But at like, the same time, I'm not revisiting the old media 
Mm-hmm. Like I think like my mom and my grandma in particular, they loved and continued to love the old media as they aged, they got locked into the media they liked. Yeah. And, you know, I don't do that. You yeah. listen to K-pop. I do. And and I wonder to some degree, mm-hmm. is that because our generation is just more open to new ideas like you're suggesting? Or is that more localized? Are you and I artists? And so we are looking for new stories and new forms of storytelling. That's possible. I totally don't possible. I have this feeling that because we're forced to be elastic in mm-hmm. our use in regards to new technology and things like that. I don't know. But it is odd to look and see another interesting thing about Gen X is we're trapped between the car generation and the doesn't want to drive generation, right? The social media generation. Our generation, I don't know if it was the same with you, but I was raised on understanding that 16 was a big deal to get your driver's license because it was such a big deal oh, to our for parents. Sure. Well, and it was a form of freedom. Yeah. That my kids don't see cars as a form of freedom because they get freedom through the internet. Right. They are able to meet with their friends and watch the movies they want and all the things just that way. Whereas you and I, we needed a car if we were going to hang out with our friends or go see a movie or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And I think, though, that at least for me, it was a big deal, but I didn't, I treated it as such, but I didn't actually need it. Like I was doing a lot of what the kids are doing now. I mm-hmm. say the kids, you know, what yeah. younger people are doing kids these days. in that I had media at home to entertain me. I didn't have the internet. Mm-hmm. But I spent a lot of time on my Super Nintendo. Yeah. We had consoles and we mm-hmm. had VCRs, yeah. which our parents never had as kids. Yeah. And so that car was a big deal because my parents treated it like one and society did. So it was a big deal to me. Mm-hmm. But when I got it, what I spent most of my time doing was driving my younger siblings around for my parents <laughs> who yeah. couldn't do it as opposed to going and hanging out with my friends. And that's kind of interesting to me. That is. So the thing about generations that really Mm -hmm. fascinates me is, first of all, let's look at child order. Psychologists Mm -hmm. have studied child order, and there's four personality types that repeat. So the oldest child is, you know, the leader and the independent one. The second child is often the one who acts out, the one who wants to make sure that they're not forgotten. The mm-hmm. third child is often the very quiet one. The fourth child is often the kind of spoiled baby. You know, that's an exaggeration, but is that the one real? that gets a lot of attention. Or and is actually, that just, yeah. that's been studied to okay. the point that it is recognized as a phenomenon, which is not okay. to say that it happens in every case right. or that every kid falls into that model. There's plenty of reasons why people don't follow that. For example, if there's a big gap between children. You know, I know there's a huge gap between you and Jordo and mm-hmm. then your two sisters, so that might not follow that four-child thing. It also happens if the first two children are different genders, mm-hmm. they will often both end up acting like oldest children. Interesting. Anyway, with that as a baseline, mm-hmm. there's actually a lot of evidence that the generations follow the same cycle. And even among families, like if you're in a really big family that has a fifth kid, the fifth kid often acts like the first kid. And then the sixth kid acts like the second kid. Like the the four personality types, Uh which are already very broad and fungible categories, they Mm -hmm. repeat. And the generations do the same thing. 
You know, we have the greatest generation followed by the boomers, followed by the Gen X, which perfectly aligns with the independent leaders, the ones who act out and want to be noticed, the quiet ones who just kind of sit in the back. And then in that model, millennials would be kind of the baby who wants the attention at the end. And I'm not sure that that's accurate. That's what everyone says they are. That's what everyone uh, says they are. I don't see it in the millennials I know. But. Yeah, neither do I. But anyway, I find that really fascinating to look at, not only that those patterns exist, but that they are similar patterns for child order and for generational order. That's interesting because I would have assumed that this is one of those things that we talk about, but that isn't actually scientifically accurate, right? Like social pressures in different forms override things like uh, birth order. But hearing that there is some sort of relevance to it is very interesting to me. I like that. Yeah. There's enough rigor behind it that it mm -hmm. is worth studying, though I don't know if it's at the level of predictive science, mm -hmm. you know? Also, I don't know if your pile of papers shows up in the camera, but you're literally just trolling Jacob now. It's it's just... might might be <laughs> might be uh, changing things up just a little bit for Jacob so that he, he it stays stays interesting. Yeah, uh, so that he can. So uh, when it's time yeah. to pick up the four little piles, he just has one huge heap mm. shuffled loosely together. Did you get through the whole list of, no, I didn't. of Gen X characteristics? Uh, do you want to do another one? Yeah, I want to hear another uh, one. This one seems like an interesting one. It is, they are tech savvy, but not tech dependent. That one feels accurate, but it's the first one that I'm really buying into your horoscope theory. Yeah. Like, I think most people would probably define themselves that way. Mm-hmm. Like here it's saying Gen Xers prefer to call on the phone than to text. Not in my experience, no, guys. No. Though, I think um, that was true, let's mm -hmm. say, seven years ago when texting was still relatively newish and we hadn't grown up with it. But now that we've lived with it long enough, never like, call me on the phone. Yeah, you Text call me, please. When you have made an appointment to call and chat about something specific, a phone call is a meeting that you have set up ahead of time, mm -hmm. or it's a quick question for your wife that. You, yeah. uh, you know, I will call my wife. I will call my children. I will call my parents. I can impose anybody upon else them. gets a text. Yeah. So that's interesting. But yeah. And the number five is they are fiercely independent, which is that another horoscopy one? I are mean, the who isn't fiercely independent? Adam, would you say that you are fiercely independent? You're a millennial, yeah, right? We need to be asking mm -hmm. Adam. Yeah, but to I might be an aberration these. for millennials, so I'm not because I'm a very much do-it-yourself, fix the yeah. car kind of guy. Yeah, so yeah. I don't know. If I hmm. had to have something get fixed, I would ask Adam <laughs> rather than someone else because I would guess that Adam would know how to fix it. So that's interesting. And I'm of the YouTube mentality where if I don't know how to fix it, I know YouTube will. Yes, that's true. Mm -hmm. YouTube is really handy for some of these things. I keep trying to tell my kids, they're like, hey, install this thing for me so I can do Minecraft mods in this way. And I'm like, go find a YouTuber, follow the steps that they suggest. <laughs> that's what I'm going to do. So good luck. <laughs> Sorry, he said it, and then it just kind of became a thing. And then, you know, it's yeah. it, it's really Dan's fault. Actually, you know whose fault it is? It's Ben's fault. Or it's those darn millennials. How's that, Ben? Ben. <laughs>